determined to turn all of the frogs gay across the Delta Quadrant. It's V'ger, please. My name is Joseph. And I'm your tri-cobalt device trigger-happy co-host, Peter. Peter, what episode of Voyager did we watch this week? Season 6, Episode 9, Voyager Conspiracy. We picked a time to do this one. (laughs) It's uh, January 7th, 2021. So welcome... Welcome to the new year, Joe. First podcast of the year. And obviously we just had the Capitol stormed by a bunch of dumb guys. <laughs> yeah, we in America had what we called a weird one yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it was uh, it was quite a time uh, t- to uh, have the Internet to watch live some 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 bonkers shit. Uh, and nothing quite like uh, watching an episode of Voyager where uh, Seven of Nine is essentially space Alex Jones uh, to uh, to cap it off, to cap it off. And that's that's what we're doing. Hey, we got a large international, <laughs> large for us, international uh, listening community. You want to explain exactly who Alex Jones is since I think he's banned from all the platforms at this point? It's true. There might be some people who are not as very online as uh, as others to know who Alex Jones is. Um, Alex Jones is a uh, Texas-based uh, radio broadcaster, I guess is where he got his start, that has evolved into a one-man conspiracy meme machine. Uh, he is uh, notorious now for having been banned from essentially every mainstream platform, but his site Infowars is so popular, he essentially created his own video, you know, sharing service for all of his crazy uh, conspiracy theory uh, related programming, which has hundreds of thousands of views. Um, everything from the very famous uh, they're they're putting things in the water to turn the friggin frogs gay uh, meme that you do occasionally still see uh, to Assuming that everything bad that happens involves crisis actors and uh, every every uh, the Pizzagate stuff was him like it's it's a journey uh, on Alex Jones. And then he spends all this time uh, essentially uh, marketing a bunch of useless snake oil uh, nutritional supplements. It's great. And seven of nine in this episode, I just don't think you can describe her any other way. She's space Alex Jones. I don't disagree. This, uh, <laughs> it's it's cool. I kind of like it, but that's what happens. <laughs> Season six. Boy, I would say that so far, minus uh, Equinox part two, this is probably the best episode I've seen season six produce so far. Uh, it's a low bar and this is a, a low achieving episode. Um, very budget friendly. There's a couple space CGI plots, but it feels like it's been a while since you've had a show that has been so self-contained to the interior of the ship with the normal staff and, and, and star power. I'm I'm trying to look at the, if there's really anything that we've seen in recent Trek that kind of frames what's happening here. It, It feels like this would have been a data episode had it been a next gen. That's an interesting way of putting it. Do you think this one's better than Dragon's Teeth? I think it's the only other competitor for for a good episode this season. No, absolutely not. Dragon's Teeth. Dragon's Teeth fucking sucks because it was a 
a f- an interesting uh, and an action packed and, and just really engaging episode that ultimately goes fucking nowhere in the yeah, mo- mind boggling. <laughs> Like, fuck Voyager for real, right? <laughs> right. No, Dragon's Teeth's a way better episode than this was. And, and, you know, I don't know how... Well, it's been a while since you and I have done any recordings. It's been, what, three weeks? Yeah, we took the holidays off, but we had enough backlog episodes and no one will know. <laughs> Dragon's Teeth, way better than this one. But yeah, I mean, ha- can you think of any other Star Trek episodes that kind of do what we have going on here? There was Drumhead, which was, you know, the big next-gen conspiracy one with uh, Admiral Norris Satie, right? Correct. And TS9 had some intrigue-based episodes, maybe not quite like this, Pale Moonlight, for example. The overall arc of this episode is total continuity porn to an insane degree, which just is obviously going to appeal to you and I as folks that spend an hour a week talking about this fucking show. Absolutely. Written by Joe Manowski, directed by Terry Wendell, who I don't recognize from anything else. But uh, I was surprised not to see Brian Fuller on this because he's usually at the front of the line when it comes to self-reference. This, I would say, is the closest that we have gotten so far in Voyager to a clip show. There's a lot of throwback footage from Caretaker Part 1 and 2. Um, and then there's uh, some clips from the Raven in there. Uh, in fact, the flashback to TNG with the TNG camera filter that you uh, so appreciated. Yeah, it was awesome. Stardate references by the truckload. Not all of them correct. But yeah, this really goes against the grain for what we've established for these late season Voyager episodes where we've unfortunately kind of retreated back to this point of not referring to anything from uh, previous adventures. This one, this one goes hard in the paint on it. And uh, the premise is interesting. We've got seven of nine creating some sort of uh, piece of technology that is going to Aggregate all of the ship's information from sensor readings, personnel logs, and reports, and it's going to upload it into her brain in this lawnmower man situation. And she is going to comb through all the data uh, to try and do God knows what. I I think the scene that's missing here in the beginning is her asking the captain if any of this shit's even okay. I mean, you said it yourself when we did the promo last week, like here we have once again, a member of Voyager's crew tampering with technology that should never be tampered with, whether it be the doctor fiddling with his program or seven of nine trying to do Borg shit. Let's not, not tell nobody about it. Let's not forget Tom Paris hooking alien El Camino <laughs> space Miata <laughs> space gremlins into his brain. With, with his with his rad trash bag suits. <laughs> that was a, such a terrible episode. Um, <laughs> you know, let's let's talk for a minute about what what's uh, information is made available for public consumption on Voyager. Uh, they're far away from Starfleet, but the captain, unlike the Equinox, has chosen to maintain protocol and and things are by the book and rank and all that. Uh, Seven of Nine continues to exist completely outside of the command structure, 
wearing no uniform yet still functions for all intents and purposes as a senior officer, even responding to requests for senior officers to report to the bridge. So, you know, she's got access to a lot of this info. And I think that it's acceptable to say, hey, listen, you've got reach on all this stuff, but there's not a reasonable expectation that anybody would actually consume all of this information, let alone in a fashion as she's doing. So I think this is her kind of exploiting some goodwill practices that are being employed on the ship. The the idea that she would seek to to do this certainly makes sense. Like they adequately set up the idea of, oh, you know, I am better than everyone else because I'm Borg. Therefore, I'm going to use my Borgness to uh, be able to do all of this this uh, analysis that would otherwise be impossible. It, it fits her uh, arrogant, yet I am now trying to be a healthy McHelperson nature. And, you know, we've got the 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 standard uh, thing you hate, which is her interacting with Naomi Wildman. <laughs> you know, I will say that these scenes have gotten much better. Uh, OK, starting to come around a little bit. I I was hoping you would not coming around, but just it's less offensive. And if I'm going to have to have Naomi Wildman on the screen, um, I'm glad that at least Samantha Wildman is no longer around to. Uh, run the scenes into the dirt quite so hard. It's interesting to see that seven of nine has completely replaced Samantha Wildman as like the, the, the point of attachment for Naomi. The thrust of seven's efforts here is that she is going to aggregate all of the data. She is going to review it and it is going to increase ship efficiency. And the first uh, interaction that we have with this is Seven of Nine coming out of her regeneration uh, alcove and calling Torres, who's still sleeping and acting like she's found some sort of a major emergency, which we will turn uh, find out that it is space fleas, which are yet again the result of Neelix's rancid cooking. Yes. In fact, the fact that he uh, acquired spices from a, a Talaxian a colony that they found, which that was weird because they got to be like decades away from Talax at this point because of how many space jumps they've had. Yes. Uh, but apparently he found one. So he got some of his dirty cat spice and cat, his dirty cat <laughs> and, his, and his cat litter had a bunch of uh, apparently uh, uh, space fleas, photonic fleas specifically that are mildly decreasing power efficiency. And, uh, of course, uh, Bolana is sufficiently annoyed that she has to deal with uh, Seven of Nine being uh, very um, in her business about something so minor. But uh, she is proven correct as she goes through the entire sequence of events that led from the kitty litter to the photonic fleas getting into the system. Yeah, she unrolls her space jump to conclusion map. And of course, there's no hard data to support any of this, but it's reasonable assumption, right? And she takes us through a very long-winded story about how uh, the spices came on board. And at that point, um, Harry Kim was working on a replicator in 10 Ford, and then this and that, and the space fleas really liked plasma, and they got into this, and they followed it all the way through. Like, it's been a while since uh, I've 
I've really checked out during space babble monologuing, techno babble monologuing, but this this little scene made it happen. And yeah, by the end, uh, Seven and the captain and Bellana get up in the Jeffrey's tube and they open up the now world famous <laughs> uh, time nook. The time, time nook. nook. Is that what you're calling it? I, yeah, what the time I, nook. Call it? I called it uh, the relativity MacGuffin, whatever. I called it the good old bomb hole. The bomb hole. <laughs> the good old time bomb hole. There we go. Uh, when in case of emergency, open hole to find plot. They go to the plot well, and sure enough, there's space fleas jumping around on what used to be a temporal bomb. And everybody's like, oh, hey, maybe seven of nine, you know, has a valid new uh, technology to help the ship. So. Uh so one second here, just one second. I need I need to ask you a critical question. Which of these is the worst? Detective Tuvok, Detective Neelix, or Detective Seven of Nine? Well, take Detective Neelix right off that fucking list because Detective Neelix <laughs> is legit. <laughs> Detective Neelix gets shit done. Detective Neelix is entertaining. Uh, Detective Neelix ain't afraid to throw people into a plasma fire. Okay, so so he does not belong on this at all. The answer is obviously Detective Tuvok is the worst because at the end of the day, at least Detective Seven of Nine still has that jumpsuit on, and that's that's all right. Yeah, that's always that's always going to be a, essentially a twenty point curve <laughs> for whatever's happening on the screen. Yeah, that's a that that suits a plus five to any scene. The B plot of this episode is uh, Voyager finding. Uh, fortuitous spatial anomaly slash technological wonder uh entry number 276 uh where they find a incredibly helpful alien who is named tosh like as in tosh.0 not the same guy but it's what i think it is tosh this guy's named tosh and uh he has built a catapult uh, because he got stranded and uh, away from his home and uh, he is trying to essentially slingshot his way back to his part of the galaxy and the Voyager gang, because they were off just randomly exploring a nearby nebula. So this may be the first and only time where directly link their random. I want to go investigate something actually did lead to them shortcutting their way home. Uh, happens across them and the guy's like, hey, what's going on? Can you help me fix my shit? If you do, you can use this. And uh, that it, there's not a lot of drama when it comes to this part of the episode, right? Like it's very straightforward and it's probably the first and only time that's happened. Well, listen, man, if you go into the bar and you ask every single girl there if she's willing to go home with you, eventually you're going to get a yes. Okay. <laughs> so... If it finally gonna... paid off after six years. They finally like sticking their their fucking nose in every goddamn crevice in the Delta Quadrant. They finally found someone who was like, "Yes, I do have a way to get home." I like this guy, right? What a what a novel idea! Hey, I got whooshed away from where I was supposed to be. It's going to be a ten year trip home. I figure rather than actively flying towards home, I'm just going to bunker down here and I'm going to build a big ridiculous space station with a Stargate. Did you play uh Microsoft what was it Microsoft Freelancer? 
Yes, I loved Freelancer. I so Freelancer was cool because it was this big giant ass galaxy. And when I mean giant, like your travel time between like solar systems or bases or whatever, like you could fall asleep for two hours and have to reset your whole game because you've just now flown off into part of the game that shouldn't exist, but they've they've created it. But you you move between like populated areas by flying through these warp rings that would just jettison you and you had to stay in the rings. And if you fell out of the rings, you know, pirates would attack you. But that's basically what this is, right? It's a jump gate and it's a cool technology. It's one you've never really seen in Star Trek before. So I was pretty excited about this. It wasn't Freelancer, the last game Chris Roberts did before he started taking everyone's money through uh, uh, Star Citizen. I'm pretty Um, sure. I don't know what his, well, was the before. He's the wing commander guy. And I'm pretty, yeah. And I'm pretty sure he, he, he worked on freelancer and like he was dicking around with that game too much and his company got bought. And that's when he's like, Oh, I'm going to go make the game I wanted with, you know, robots and blackjack and hookers. And, uh, that's well, that's where star citizen came from like a billion years ago. (laughs) But yeah, I think freelancer came out like Maybe 90. early 2000s, early yeah. 2000s. That sounds about right. It was really it really holds up too, surprisingly well. The mouse combat was kind of uh, different for me, but uh, yeah. But so anyways, this, this is this is this is cool technology. It's a cool premise. Did you read the memory alpha? I did, but mostly just for uh, notes on all the continuity. Was there something about the technology or? So uh, since this is kind of a boring episode and I don't really want to go blow by blow on it, you know, the big snag and what kind of becomes the inciting moment in this is they're trying to figure out how the technology works. Seven's, again, pulling all the sensor data and combing through it. So the day after they show up at the space station, start talking, they find uh traces of tetrion particles which indicates a tetrion reactor and they say well you know this guy didn't want to let us on the space station he's trying to hide something and that's what jump starts her conspiracy theory on this um jumping to the end of the episode all of this question about where did the tetrion reactor come from and and they'll you know the inciting factor here becomes they go back to the caretaker station because the concern is this guy's a caretaker or he's in league with the caretaker because that's the only other place so far where they've encountered this kind of technology. And I thought, again, it's cool that not only are you drawing on caretaker part one, the event that brought uh, Voyager to the Delta Quadrant, but there's even some shout out to. Um, God, what was this caretaker part two episode? Oh, cold fire. No, cold, cold fire. fire. Yeah. Yeah, it was cold fire, wasn't it? Great episode. Loved it. Uh, good horror. That's where uh, Kess cooks Tuvok's brain and some A plus. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Because that's what she, they, they find the other like Ocompans that have reached Super Saiyan states. Right? Yeah, what's that dude's name? The actor. Gary Graham, the Gary. actor Gary Graham. Yeah. You know, that's referenced heavily and, and Janeway's still kind of scared since she let that caretaker off the hook while she was pissed off. Uh, so where did this Tetrion reactor come from? And it gets seven to start going back and reviewing uh, uh, footage from caretaker part one. And she finds what appears to be at the moment that caretaker station is destroyed by the, the tri cobalt devices, which I love the amount of shade that they throw at these things. Like 
kudos to Joe Manowski for really rubbing Voyager's face in the dirt about like, what, why couldn't those just be photon torpedoes? You had to make up a whole new technology to use all of one time to blow up this fucking space station. Like, when do you ever need an excuse for a space station to blow up? Like, you need a bigger bomb. The best part about this is that it becomes a key part of the whole, uh, this was a false flag, you know, conspiracy rants that uh, she goes on specifically uh, with uh, with Chakotay. Like, it isn't just the rubbing Voyager's, you know, fucking nose in it. It's we're going to use this as a main way to sell the idea of Seven of Nine's credibility nobody and she brings it up like twice like nobody can really justify why voyager had tricobalt devices on it in the first place they are i think accurately described as siege weapons right like this is something you use when you got to blow up something that is hardened right like a massive space station and Voyager was sent to find you, Chakotay, right? Like your stupid little Maquis Raider in the Badlands. Why the why the hell would you bring a siege tank, you know, to a weapon when you really are looking to, to take wraiths? Yeah. You know, you like, didn't have a counselor on board. But you had a Death Star weapon, right? You, you had something meant, meant for siege warfare to when you're on a, a hunt mission for a terrorist. So she says, uh, you know, I'm looking at the footage here when we blew up caretaker station and, you know, you can see there in this little blurry thumbnail that kind of where one of these Tetrion reactors were, there's what appears to be a tractor beam that was probably from a cloaked ship and it shoved the Tetrion reactor into a subspace terror and and now it's ended up here on the space station and she'll pose a couple different um, conspiracy theories, one favoring Starfleet and vilifying the Maquis and the other um, framing Starfleet as an invasive force in league with the Cardassians, appealing to the Maquis to stop the invasion plans before they can happen. By the end of all of this, uh, the main question, which is kind of raised here, which is where the hell did this Tetrion reactor come from, never gets answered. The answer that we get from the, you know, from the guy is he bought it, right? And yeah, I he, he he's kind of cagey about it because he's like, listen, I know this is kind of like super hot tech and that's why I'm cagey about it. But can we please just help me get home? And it's, it's just weirdly just not mentioned again from that point forward. Like Voyager doesn't try and take it. No one else tries to show up with it. It isn't like a situation where like the Libyans show up to to kill Doc Brown, you know, or something like that, because it gave, you know, for for the plutonium. Sure. Um, it, it, it does kind of just get unceremoniously dropped, despite being the reason why the plot happens. So jumping back like seven minutes ago when I asked you if uh, you read the Voyager uh, Memory Alpha entry on this. When they initially make contact with Tok or, or whatever his name is, uh, and he, he hails him from the operations center on this, you can see in the picture behind him, like part of the tech doodads uh, strewn about this place, is the AI processing module from Think Tank. Oh, is it in the background? 
it's in the background. It's the big, okay. goofy, Christmas light rocket ship looking thing. Right. Like, oh, we've got that as a, a prop. Put it in the back. So they never really address it. And I'm sure that for all intents and purposes, it was just something that looked space agey and, and computer like. But, you know, if we're going to do this as a conspiracy episode, I'd say it makes perfect sense that the think tank is still around, that they outsmarted whoever those uh, bounty hunters were that were after them. And they're still out there wheeling and dealing. And like the big question that never really gets addressed once uh, seven of nine starts selling these conspiracy theories about like, uh, you know, Cardassian cloaked vessels were there and waiting for the destruction of caretaker station. And then they took this Tetrion reactor and they basically FedExed it all the way up here because then, you know, the command station, the slingshot would be built and Voyager would rendezvous with it. And then either Maquis invasions would happen or Cardassian Federation um, occupation fleets could arrive, whatever. It's never really addressed. Like, how the fuck would this thing beat Voyager to the finish line when Voyager has had, what, two major jumps? You had the, the slipstream drive. You had Kess shoving it forward and then Borg boom tubes, right? Correct. So it's three. So it's completely unrealistic for this thing to have jumped ahead unless you bring in the one uh, variable minus Q that has had the ability to uh, transverse the Delta Quadrant uh, at speeds faster than Voyager. And that was the think tank. So I thought it would have been really cool if they said, no, yeah, you know, think tank's still out there. And there's at least part of the think tank collaborating with this guy. And maybe that's where he bought the technology off of. And who knows what bigger plans are in motion. Would have been interesting if they had included that as essentially where this guy got it. Like he like he traded data on the wormhole in exchange for a reactor so he can, you know, build this thing or whatever. Uh, if I, if I uh, have an issue with this episode, it is that while the, the, the core like references that seven of nine is using to create these dueling conspiracy theories, because she ultimately goes to Chakotay first and says, I think that we were purposefully stranded. I think that Voyager was purposefully <laughs> stranded. How do we? Voyager was purposefully stranded in the Delta Quadrant as part of the Federation's you know, mission to put a military presence in the Delta Quadrant and goes through the whole the the, the thing with the uh, the reactor was saved and, and they're working with the Cardassians to do this because there was a Cardassian vessel that was brought here. She he, she gets a bunch of data from Neelix from his ship. So they finally reach back and talk about all the other ships that got pulled in from different parts of the galaxy. And they do try and solve the re- for the reason why you don't see a whole bunch of other Alpha Quadrant species around, which is a lot of them got sent back. Like the Cardassian ship that got pulled in apparently got sent back and then got blown up later in the Alpha Quadrant. So there wasn't that's yeah, why they weren't there anymore. Galore number 13. Unlucky 13. That was not imagine being stuck on that fucking ship. I know, right? You get sucked in the Delta Quadrant. You get given space aids by the, by the <laughs> fucking caretaker and then uh, shoved back into the Alpha Quadrant in time to get blown up by terrorists. You know, zero out of ten. Uh, crazy on the callback charts, too, is they. They say those three letters, Joe. Kess. They do. 
Kess they gets do. major shout outs in this one. We haven't heard about the name Kess in a long fucking time. I was almost like, does that someone have to like explain to seven who Kess actually is? And then I remember that they, they did coexist on the ship for a couple, uh, for, for like two episodes. And I think this might be the first time seven of nine has said the word Kess ever. Yeah, I think you're right. But that and then mention of uh, Neelix's ship and his sensor logs. Like, again, there's a lot of really good self-reference in this episode. And again, I think that uh, using the think tank would have been very welcome, especially given the shadowy nature and the crazy variables that they could have thrown into things. Let me Um, finish my thought from before, though. Like, my issue with the episode is that some of this continuity is really cool, bringing up, you know, Janeway's making alliances. That's why she made the alliance with the Borg. That's why she made the alliance with the Herogen. You know, like, all of this, like, these are supposed to be reasons why you should believe this. The the Federation's shady sometimes, you know, even though there's a treaty that they have uh, to not have military presence in other quadrants, which makes sense because the wormhole to the gamma quadrant exists um you know they're they're known for you know kind of being assholes you know that because you're maquis uh and this is why you should totally believe that this is all part of the plan and the part of the plan was to branch this exact spot in this random part of the delta quadrant to rendezvous with a space catapult that may or may not get us all that far like it just falls apart at the end right like any good conspiracy theory there's all this this uh evidence quote unquote that you're able to assemble through coincidence but then when you have to reach your conclusion it's just like and it's just like some fucking QAnon shit like it just falls apart and you're like oh this doesn't make any sense at all and you're stupid for believing it um and rather than having Chakotay be like, I am smart enough to realize that this doesn't make any sense. And it's all of these coincidences don't lead to this conclusion. He just buys it. And then Janeway also is stupid enough to fall for her own conspiracy theory later on. The exact same problem. Like, oh, this uh, all of these coincidences line up to make this idea interesting. And then like your ultimate theory is stupid. So no. Yeah. And, you know, if we're going to punch a couple other holes in the episode, like, all right, now you've got access to uh, really great jump gate technology. Um, you know, will they ever say, hey, we've got the plans for a super viable slingshot. We just need to get, you know, find a way to recreate more of these uh, Tetrion reactors and we can just, you know, chain link our way home. Also, does Janeway blow this thing up after they go through it? Like when you when you put something this cool on the table, right? I'd say that this technology is almost right up there with Seven of Nine's ability to bring people back from the dead using Borg pixie dust. Like it becomes world damaging unless you address it. And that certainly never happens. Uh, In fact, by the end of this episode, when they do make the jump, like you don't even get to see fucking Voyager go through this thing. They just cut forward an external shot of Voyager scooting along as always in a, a captain's log laid over it's like uh you know there was some strife on the ship and seven of nine's not gonna uh you know put the hell in her brain anymore also by the way we got you know knocked 10 years into the fucking journey so that was sweet you know captain signing off like come on boy it was sure a wacky adventure we went on <laughs> good thing it all worked out boy, didn't those- it, dude 27s or 37s they sure had a 
a, a, a real bang up city of tomorrow, <laughs> man. You should have seen it. It was that's a shame my camera was broken that day because those would have been some really awesome pictures. What what do you want to call this sort of pattern? Like the my girlfriend in Canada approach? It's just this awesome <sighs> thing you can't see. I mean, it's, it's they do it a lot. It is a cost saving measure, so it's more of a I get it. This is why they're not going to show it. But, you know, when they start doing stuff like this, it it really makes me wonder, like, what special effects tour de force is coming up later on that that you can see them tightening the belt on the effects budgets for these episodes. I can tell you it'll be next week. (laughs) What? You're going to see some of that money next week. Let me just put it that way. Hmm. <laughs> do i smell a borg episode we'll have to see well we'll talk about that in a little bit but as far as like wrapping up on this um they what are some other things that seven of nine goes through in her conspiracy um oh she mentioned seska although it gets her rank wrong that was like a glaring error like commander seska nah that was as that was an ensign seska so- thank you very much I, you know, that's a curious point there. And, and Memory Alpha will call that out. Like, was that inconsistent writing or was that really clever writing that's showing that the the pieces are there, but the, the facts aren't 100 percent and that there's a lot of conjecture that that's seven's getting a lot of stuff wrong along the way that I, I, I don't think, though, that she got any actual fact incorrect in all of her conspiracy stuff when she was like noting something that happened so it just seemed to me that they were like oh we gotta include seska and someone's like commander it's one of those things where maybe someone knew but it was already in the script and we know how hard it was for them to even change a word you know you know i don't know man like the devil's in the details right and and i would say that's certainly a, a part of this is like you can look at the big picture and you can draw a lot of conclusions. But when you examine all of the evidence on a case by case basis and really fully flesh it out, then you see that the end um, results that she's trying to draw these conclusions to are bullshit. And, you know, a lot like the um, what was the potato people episode we just did uh, this season with the, Oh, uh, Tinker, Doctor, Sailor, oh. Moon, whatever. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, Tinker, Taylor, Doctor, Spy. Yeah. So, you know, I think that there was hidden commentary in there criticizing the Star Trek fan base, right? I don't think that was hidden, though. That was more explicit. I was certainly a convert to it when you brought it up. I'm you know, looking through the list of all the continuity references that is in the memory alpha for this episode. And every single f- other fact is true. Like Captain Janeway allows Kess to leave. The doctor's program is transmitted to Starfleet vessel on the outskirts of the Alpha Quadrant. Janeway forges an alliance with the Borg. Like this, if there was a either I a, a consistent in level of failure in the information, or that they had made a plot point of she had inconsistencies and that's what clued them into the fact that there was a problem and that like getting Seska's rank wrong was something they mentioned on screen as part of that evidence. I would buy what you're saying because we're not talking about a meta thing here. We're talking about the actual episode. 
And I, I think that was I think uh, Occam's razor here, man. They just forgot. It's been years and had to think about it. Like, what was she? She a fucking commander or something? Whatever. Just put it in there. Um, But again, I think this is another commentary episode. Uh, kind of turning the camera on the audience and saying, you know, there's a lot of time that people read too deep into what we're doing and implications and this and that. And, and again, it, it feels kind of like the writer room looking back over at the audience and audience behavior on it. Um, the other interesting stuff going on here. Let's see, you get a nice scene with uh, Chakotay and Balana up in the Jonas Memorial death loft right next to the grindy dry hump bench where, uh, you know, and it's been a while since you've had a line drawn in the sand on the crew, probably since what uh, worst case scenario where really the Maquis operate independently of. Well, even then it was just uh, in worst case scenario it was more just a comment on the fact that there was a point where that was the case. And it had been a while since that was, that was in place. Um, I, though I, I, I do, as you uh, point out, uh, appreciate that this this dirty dealing happened in the fuck murder loft. As, <laughs> right uh, next so to the we, phaser rifles. Right next to the phaser rifles, the grenades, the space pipes, the knife uh, that uh, is the most powerful weaponry on Voyager. And it's literally where the most uh, explicit sexual and murderous activity has occurred. How did you feel watching Chakotay and uh, Balana conspire to sabotage Voyager's efforts to get the slingshot operational? I thought it was really stupid that Chakotay bought it. I think that that's where the plot falls apart for me. Chakotay should never have believed what 7F9 was spitting out at him. He had no reason to draw that conclusion the way 7F9 did. After all of the things he's been through on that ship, with all of the experiences he's had with with Janeway and the rest of the crew, there was no credible reason why he specifically should have ever believed it. And that's that's kind of my big takeaway. Like, it's an interesting episode and and how they finally try and do like a continuity thing where, you know, and and certainly the idea of seven of nine overloading a brain and start thinking that there's weather weapons and. Uh, <laughs> just like crazy shit I'm down for that that's actually a neat idea too uh, but the subplot of Chakotay and Janeway being such naive idiots that they believe these stupid conspiracy theories is yeah. just not credibly established in any way and by the end we'll find out that the problem is that this uh, this data aggregation process that she has created is overloading her Borg implant and essentially poisoning her. Yeah, she she comes up with the two conspiracy theories that are in exact opposition to each other, feeds them to the two other people, and then concludes both of them are after her. It's you know it's a classic conspiracy spiral. You know somebody watches too much fucking you know Fox News or whatever. <laughs> like this is what happens to you. I would have liked to see her start having physical manifesta- manifestations of illness, like like some sort of like black veiny growth or something out of the from around the implant something really sell like similar to you know when tom went space crazy last time he let a computer in his brain something really showing that she's off the rails 
And I think that would have given me more sympathy towards what she was doing because uh, again, this is, this is another seven of nine goes off the rail. Seven of nine has too much access to ship resources. And whereas normally these situations result in her taking a phaser rifle and walking around engineering, blasting fools, you know, this time it turns into her hijacking the Delta flyer after she uh, sabotages the entire ship to the point where it can't shoot straight. So she can fly over the Delta flyer, uh, blow up the space, the space slingshot, which felt so low stakes. Like I really thought she was going to nail this thing. Like there's been so many times before, but like, Hey, here's a faster way home that they've dangled in front of us and, and yanked away. I, I didn't for the life of me, well, not for the life, but I really didn't think that she was going to be unsuccessful in her attempt to blow it up. Um, for whatever reason, she leaves the shields down on the Delta flyer. So Janeway can beam over and then, you know, talk her down off the ledge. Janeway pulling those star dates off when she's trying to convince seven of nine that she's not the enemy was as unrealistic to me as Tom Paris, knowing a single goddamn thing about Fort Knox. <laughs> Tom Paris knows everything about random arcana from what, from her, his perspective would be. Carburetors, you know, Fort Knox. Mars mission uh, command rosters. Tom Tom Paris is your one-stop shop. It would be the equivalent of someone that's supposed to be hip and cool in our time being like the biggest expert on everything that happened in the 1600s, you know? Yeah. I don't know anybody that has an exhaustive uh, sort of interest in, uh, you know, pre-renaissance germany or anything like that like come on now <laughs> you know there, there there was a lot of cool stuff they could have done with this uh i i do like that they called some of uh voyager's history to the mat um i'm trying to think what other gems might have gone on in here real thin usage of tuvok who gets questioned pretty vigorously by seven and just kind of lets it slide which I would have liked to see him be a little bit more assertive. And certainly, like you said, uh, uh, the fact that Chakotay didn't just go directly to Janeway with his suspicions here seemed goofy. From the capsule we had seen uh, in Netflix about this, I thought the conspiracy was going to be a bunch of data that seemed basically the same structures we saw here. A lot of data that seemed unrelated, but when viewed in a certain light shows something different, like from the lower decks, from side actors, uh, not, not this big grandiose, crazy plan where it's Janeway against uh, Chakotay. I, I would have liked to see them have suspicion to people that we never really talked to before and seen the crew spin their wheels doing questioning, which again, I think could kind of fall back down that uh, the drumhead Norris a T episode of next gen with Simon Tarsi's the half Romulan or quarter Romulan, whatever he was. Uh, but you know, anytime that I think there's a chance to involve other members of the Voyager crew, I get excited about and it was kind of disappointed just to see that opportunity squandered. So the, the ultimate conclusion of the episode it resolves the conflict between Janeway and Chakotay by them just basically deciding never to tell anybody that they were about to turn on each other. Like this real awkward moment where they're sort of half confronting each other with 
while having their phasers like strapped. Like they both come in with their service nines and tricorders to like both scan seven of nines Borg shit. And they're like, hey, what's up, buddy? Why you got a gun? Isn't that weird? And they're like, yeah, we just almost turned on each other because seven of nine convinced us in these stupid conspiracy theories. Let's not tell anyone we're this fucking dumb. it's 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 such a strange note for that part of the plot the elephant in the room there too is i mean like this is the second time in one season where they've kind of turned on each other yeah like if it had been a season-long arc where it started with uh them kind of having a falling out because of equinox and you know they're having distrust and this is like sort of like starting to peak that distrust and like it's like this whole subplot through the season that had been fucking cool that was ron moore's idea instead it just seems completely out of place like why are they randomly suspicious of each other there is no reason for them to think like what should have absolutely happened is seven of nine should have been trying to convince more susceptible members of the crew of parts of the truth about the conspiracy as she was confused about what was happening. And then that suspicion starts working into the rest of the crew being suspicious of each other, you know, and Maquis versus Starfleet and Tom and all this other stuff. And then ultimately like Chakotay and Janeway is like, what the fuck is going on? Why is everyone at each other's throats? And then they realize the the reason why this whole conspiracy mindset is set in the ship is because of seven of nine feeding it. And they're the ones that confront it and deal with it. That's what they should have done for this kind of idea. Instead, it's the two people that should never have fallen victim to this immediately do for no reason, almost shoot at each other and then decide they'll never tell anybody because it was way dumb. Yeah. Just seven of nine wasting everybody's time again. Not a lot of meat on the bone for this one, Joe. What are we watching next week, though? Next week, we are going into season six, episode 10, Pathfinder. And we've got. Who is that? Oh, you know who it is. Is that Troy? Yeah, bitch. (laughs) Back on Earth, Lieutenant Barkley uses holograms to formulate a plan to open communications with the Voyager. Ooh. In case of emergency, break glass <laughs> and pull next generation lever. Oh boy, do they ever! Like this, this is uh, this this turns things around quite a bit as far as season six's quality level. This is everything you ever wanted, man. Uh, this this is some good shit. This is wow. this is this is Barkley. This is Barkley doing Barkley shit. Uh, we like it shows. Deanna Troy's involved. Like they pull, they pull out all the stops. I knew that, uh, that Frakes and Sirtis were involved at the end of, uh, enterprise and, and what's now infamous. <laughs> oh yeah. The worst episode of star Trek ever made. <laughs> that's, that's saying something since, you know, Voyager exists, but, um, I did not know that they were bringing next generation big names in on Voyager episodes. So this will be very interesting. Um, and good because season six needs something to care about. Yeah, this starts basically, I would call the, the beginning of the end of Voyager is what this episode uh, narratively, uh, this is where they finally start to establish a clear, the show is coming to an end and this is kind of how it's going to happen arc 
of instead of them kind of nebulously being out there all by themselves, they're, you know, they're going to start to become more connected with home in a material way. And that's going to play into the plots and and that sort of thing. Well, I look forward to checking it out. Yeah, this is one we can actually genuinely look not only look forward to, but look forward to talking about because it's going to hit us all. It's going to hit you in some feels, man. This is a good one. Certainly not getting those types of reactions off of these previous episodes we've been watching for series uh, season six. So uh, let's uh, let's cross our fingers and hope. I want to just one closing thought on this. Like this really does go against the grain. Everything that Voyager does has always seemed to build towards like accessibility of someone who's just picking up for the first time. And yeah, they show a lot of like clips and I think they, they, they build the groundwork, but uh, this seems like kind of a risky episode for something, the stakes being so small and it ultimately being such a throwaway episode to rely so heavily on past events and investment in the Voyager story up to this point really was a weird play to see them bring out. Yeah. Especially after our explicit complaints that this is some shit they never do. You know, like that they never use their own continuity in service of their story. And then they have this episode where it's essentially this big, giant continuity orgy, this big it's it's continuity bukkake all over the place. But it's pointless, kind of stupid, crazy. That that kind of sums up this entire show. Thanks for listening to Future Please <laughs> Hateful Voyage to the Delta Quadrant. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs>